If you're new to Grace, my name is Josh McNall, and I get the privilege to uh, open God's Word uh, this morning in our message. So if you've got your Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. We've been in the midst of this, this series in 1 Peter, and the title is True Grit, True Grit, uh, study in, in 1 Peter. And so we're going to continue that today. In, in 1 Peter chapter 1. I want to start with a picture. I brought a picture from my grandpa and grandma McNall's uh, recent 70th wedding anniversary. You're like, I'll be 127 years old at my 70th. No, but this was their 70th wedding anniversary. And I heard a story about my grandpa McNall that, I, that fits with our passage today. As a friend of his from way back when, I won't single him out, said, you know, your, your grandpa Paul, and he's a, been a pastor for years and years, used to wear short sleeves. And I thought, okay. <laughs> Happened to me once, right? Yeah, yeah. He used to wear short sleeves, and it created a bit of a, just a little stir, a little, not scandal would be too harsh of a word, but a little bit of a stir on the holiness Christian campground where he would come as a pastor each summer. He would walk across the campground in his short sleeve dress shirt and the whispers. Because as you know, the Bible says, the elbow is the devil's playground. <laughs> and that's, that's true, not at all. <laughs> but you say, what are we talking about? Well, he was a pastor. And at this campground, many of these holiness campgrounds, there was a big sign across the front. I don't know if this one had it or not. And it said, it was a verse from the passage that we're going to read today. Be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. And then in parentheses in the Hebrew, no short sleeve dress shirts. <laughs> right? And that was not in there either. So what are we talking about here? I, to be holy, the call to holiness can be a daunting, kind of seemingly impossible standard. And, and we, we just released the, the Grace Kids, and every week that I'm not preaching, I take you know, my son Ewan and my son Teddy back to Grace Kids, and I say the same thing every week. I say, Ewan, look at me. Be good, right? <laughs> be good. Don't hit anybody. Don't start any fights. But I've never, ever looked at him and said, Ewan, today, be holy, Right? Because it creates this image of just like, there's not like a, like a halo around his head. It just seems like an impossible standard holiness. And in some cases, like the instance of my grandpa and the sort of holiness tradition, in some cases, the call to holiness morphed into what I would call the reality of legalism. The reality of legalism. Holiness became legalism. And legalism was when you take something that's optional or should be optional, like, you know, full sleeve, short sleeve, and you turn it into a mandate, something that the Bible says is optional, and you turn it into something mandatory. And so in some cases, the call to holiness has led to legalism that has harmed people. On the other hand, it is absolutely a calling for every Christian to be transformed into holiness. And so the question I want to look at today is, what does that mean? What does holiness look like for ordinary people, not some monk in a monastery somewhere, not, but for regular people, what does holiness look like? And so 1 Peter chapter 1, 
beginning in verse 13, and we'll look at that question together. It says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. This is God's word. The passage in, in my translation, the translation I, I read, starts with this call for minds that are alert and fully sober. But there's this, this colorful image in the Bible that sort of gets glossed over. We lose it in a lot of the English translations. And I brought uh, a picture of it. There's this colorful image that you sometimes hear in the Bible. Gird your loins. That's a striking phrase, is it not? Gird your loins. And so I found a chart on the internet, as you honestly can do for anything, um, on what that phrase, that biblical phrase means, gird, how to gird up your loins. You didn't think you'd be learning this today. But it, it starts with a hiking up of the garments. All right? Once the excess fabric is gathered in front, you pull it underneath you between your legs to your rear. This feels, quote, much like a diaper. <laughs> then you gather half the material in each hand, bringing it back around to the front. Next slide. And then once it's in front, you tie the two, the two together, sort of like we used to do with a sweater back in the, in the 90s over your shoulders. And then it says, finally, tie your two handfuls of material together, and then you're all set for battle and for hard labor. And you say, Josh, why are we talking about this? What are we, what are we doing, right? Well, as I studied this passage, as I delved into the, to the Greek of this passage, that very first line, the opening line, if you were to translate it sort of more literally, almost like word for word, this is what Peter says, gird up the loins of your mind. You're like, what? Is that like a turban? I don't know what this is. I don't know what we're talking. Gird up the loins of your mind. What does he mean in this passage on holiness? What he's basically saying is, look, Prepare yourself, right? Get ready. This thing that we're jumping into, a call to holiness, is going to demand of us some preparedness. Or you could say it's going to demand of us some, some grit. Get ready. Make sure you're fully alert, fully sober. Literally, gird up the loins of your, of your mind for this call, this call that can seem daunting, 
the call to transformation, to, to be holy. And so what does that mean? First off, I think it means that holiness is the character of God. This is the first thing we see in the passage. Holiness is the character of God. And so holiness is the calling of all God's people. Holiness is what God is like. It's who God is. It says over and over that in the Bible that, that God is holy. He is utterly singular, utterly unlike any fallen sinful thing. He's, he's perfect in his, in his holiness. It says this in verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. Holiness is who God is. And so for that reason, holiness is what God has called his people to. And my friend Keith Drury writes this book. He has a book called Holiness for Ordinary People, which I like that title. He says, holiness, on this point, holiness isn't reserved for just a select few of God's teacher's pets, for pastors, for missionaries, for retired folk who, quote, have enough time to pray all day. Holiness, if you're retired, you're like, what? <laughs> Holiness is for all of us, he says. It's for all God's people, factory workers, housewives, office managers. Holiness is for ordinary people. It's the calling that God has called us to. But then that raises the question, well, then what is holiness? Because as, you know, growing back to you and going off the compass, or not compass, that was a church 10 years ago. I was a pastor up in Michigan. Didn't need to know that. Grace, kids. It, I don't think holiness implies a halo, right? I don't think it implies a sinless perfection. So what is it? Drury says holiness is loving God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Holiness is transformation into Christ-likeness. Holiness is transformation, something that oftentimes takes years. It's a process. A transformation into Christ-likeness. Holiness, to use the imagery of C.S. Lewis, is, is if your life is this house with all these different rooms and all the, there's an attic and there's a basement. Holiness is being willing to let God into new rooms that you have maybe walled off from the company. And you, you know this, right? Especially if you have kids, you know this. It's like you can only get a certain portion of the house re company ready. <laughs> so you're shoving stuff in the closet. You know, holiness is letting God into the rooms of your house that maybe you've walled off or closed off from the outside world so that you can be, so that you can be transformed into Christ-likeness. And so maybe the question for us is, what rooms in my life have I sort of shut off from God? What doors, what crannies, what nooks, what basements have I chosen to allow or to not allow God into? And you say, well, God, you can, you can talk to me about this, talk to me about how to be a good dad because I care about that. But don't talk to me about like my finances or, or don't talk to me about... My, my sexual habits and desires that, that are contrary to Scripture. Don't talk to me. About, what rooms have we walled off from God? And he says, holiness is opening the doors to those rooms 
and allowing God to make us new, allowing him access to our lives. It's the character of God, and so it's the calling of God's people. That's what holiness is. But I I think you could say this too, number two, before we can be holy, we must first experience holiness. Or you could say before we can be holy, we have to see holy. We have to experience holiness, not something as a, it's almost always a pejorative. Have you noticed that? If you talk about somebody, it's like, oh, you're so holy, aren't you? Holier than thou. We have to experience holiness as something that's sweet and not just something that is daunting. We have to experience God's holiness. And I think you get a hint at this in the way that Peter starts his passage. He starts it, maybe English professors would quibble with whether this is a wise, he starts it with therefore. And so what he's doing in this call to holiness is he's saying that this call to holiness is based upon what Christ has done for us. It's based upon an experience of God's grace. Earlier in the passage, he talked about the new birth, the hope that we have in Christ. And so holiness is something we have to experience. It's not just something that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and make ourselves holy. He's hearkening back to God's God's grace, we have to experience it. How do we experience holiness? How do we experience it? And I was watching the videos and and looking at the slides earlier. I think one of the ways we experience holiness is through acts of service for people who are not giving us anything in return. When holiness goes public, and it's not just about all the things you don't do, but it's about loving other people that is contagious and infectious and inherently appealing. It's one of the reasons why people who are nothing like Jesus like Jesus. Right? His holiness was infectious because he, the way he loved. This convoy of hope is an opportunity to have holiness go public, not in some sort of sanctimonious religious way, but we experience holiness through, through service through giving, through loving other people. We experience holiness, maybe secondly, in worship, in the experience of public worship with a group of people who are so different in some ways, maybe alike in other ways. We experience holiness as something sweet through worship. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 talks about being ushered into the throne room and the angels, the cherubim, are, they're singing out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. We experience it when we sing. We experience holiness when we get our bodies and not just our minds or our mouths in worship. And I say that as somebody who... Um, I joked for service. According to the doctor, I, I was born with my hands in my pockets. <laughs> right? And that's obviously a joke. I was like, why is he wearing a tiny sport coat? Uh, I'm not a real just like bodily, gregarious, like I, I'm, I just kind of, if I'm left to my own devices, I'm an introvert and I kind of just want to be an observer, right? That's just kind of how I am. 
But as I'm in corporate worship, and especially this summer, I was at a youth camp. I was speaking at a youth camp. All these kids are jumping around. They're doing actions. And I'm just like, I'm not into actions. I'll be honest. Right? <laughs> Even when I was a kid, I was not into actions. And so as the speaker, what do you have to do? Well, you have to like, you know, get involved with your campers. You're, I mean, you're the speaker for Pete's sake. You can't sit in the back and read a book, right? So I, I tried once. It didn't go well. It, so what do you do? I get involved in worship. And there's this crazy thing that happens is it's like doing something with your body sometimes transforms your spirit or your mind, right? What happens when you go to a counselor and you talk about feeling depressed? One of the first questions they ask you is, well, are you exercising? You're like, what does that have to do with it? <laughs> there's this relation between bodily, physical activity and spiritual or emotional states. One of the ways we experience worship, we experience holiness is through what we're doing tonight with this event called Presence, six, six o'clock tonight. What would happen if we came together and just worshiped God and said to God, you are great and holy, you are other, and yet you love us, right? We can't be holy until we experience holiness. We do that through service. We do that through worship. We do it in, in lots of ways. Third thing that Peter says, Peter seems to say that holiness, this transformation that we're all called to, is motivated primarily by the hope of future grace and not primarily by the fear of future wrath. Holiness is motivated by this expectation, this hope of future grace, and not primarily because we're scared that God is going to zap us or punish us for something. He says this in, in the passage in verse 13. He says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. He says, I want you to picture this, that Jesus is coming back, that he hasn't left you as an orphan. He hasn't left you behind. And I want you to have this expectation or this, this hope of the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus is revealed, that his future grace motivates our present transformation. And there's, there is a phrase, it's sometimes true, I think, that they'll say someone is, oh, he's, he's so heavenly minded that he's of no earthly good. You may have heard that phrase, right? But I wonder if sometimes the problem for Christians is that we are so unheavenly minded that we are of no earthly good, that we don't have this expectation that Christ is coming back, not just to zap us, but to reward and, and greet us with, with joy. He says, think about that. Think about the future grace. Jesus was motivated by joy. I don't know if you've thought about that. Hebrews says, this weird passage, he says, for the joy set before him, Jesus, endured the cross. That's weird. Like, you think about something that requires you to gird the loins of your mind. Something that requires true grit. It's going to the cross. And yet it says that Jesus was motivated by the joy that awaited him. 
at the accomplishment of that. Peter says, set your hope on the grace that Jesus is bringing for you. It's not just a fear-based holiness. It's something that's motivated by, by grace. Fourth, fourth insight, Peter says, holiness means that our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. Holiness means our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. He says this, and Pastor Rod talked about this in the previous messages, about what it means to be a resident alien as a Christian. Peter says, live out your time here on earth where you live in Bartlesville as foreigners here in reverent fear, in awe, in this, this sense of our citizenship being in heaven. Think of yourself, Peter says, as a resident alien. That's, that's, that's like how the Israelites thought of themselves when they were in Babylon. Peter opens his letter saying, uh, talking about the church as if they are in Babylon, so to speak, even though they're, they're not literally. He says, think of yourself as kind of an elect, beloved exile. And your primary citizenship is, is in heaven. And so if we think about what the Bible says that means, exiles were people who were supposed to seek the good of the city where they lived. Seek the good of the city, the Old Testament says, even when you're in exile. So that means for the Jews to be a resident alien in Babylon or wherever, it meant you didn't go around like lighting buildings on fire. <laughs> that was not the job of a resident alien. No, no. Love the city that you find yourself in. Love the nation that you find yourself in. Seek the good of the city. But always remember that your primary citizenship lies elsewhere. Peter says, think of yourself as a foreigner here. I think you could say it this way. Seek the good of the city, but carry your passport with you. <laughs> Amen? Because there's this thing, is like when... I do this with my passport. It's probably there right now. Our passport gets shoved in the back of our sock drawer. And then before long, you're like, where is that thing? And for Christians, our passport as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, as our primary citizenship, so often gets shoved in the back of the sock drawer. And we begin to think of our primary citizenship as being in the kingdoms of this world. And it doesn't matter how wonderful the earthly kingdom you live in is. It's not the kingdom of of heaven. And so Peter says, think of yourselves, wherever you live, no matter what city, no matter what country, no matter what culture or neighborhood, think of yourself, he says, as a foreigner here. Seek the good. Keep your passport. Remember where your citizenship lies. And most of you have done that because you've been to other countries. I remember going to Africa on multiple occasions. You kept your passport on you. You didn't just fling it on the motel bed and walk off, right? You remember your citizenship. And Peter says, holiness is beginning to think of yourself differently as a foreigner here and a primary citizen in the kingdom of heaven. That'll change our actions. How would it change the way we think and the way we speak and the way we act? Lastly, I think this is maybe the most practical of all. Holiness, this transformation into Christ-likeness, resists the lazy slide back into empty living 
long after we know better. It sounds like a dance move, the lazy slide, right? (laughs) Holiness resists the lazy slide back into this empty living. Peter says it this way in verse 18. He says, for you know, it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. He says, it wasn't just like God wrote a check. God sent his son. That means something that he bled for you. It wasn't just with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed with from the, quote, empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. And so I think oftentimes holiness seems undesirable because we haven't grasped the emptiness of unholiness. One of my old professors, a guy by the name of David Wells, he, he said that worldliness is whatever attitude makes sin seem normal and righteousness seem strange. That's worldliness. It's anything that makes sin seem normal and righteousness seem strange. And what Peter says is holiness resists this slide back into empty, joy-killing ways of, of life. I had a preaching professor named Jeff Arthurs, and he wrote a book called Preaching as Reminding. That's the title, Preaching as Reminding. And his point was that so oftentimes we think of preaching as like, I'm going to pull out this new insight that like nobody's ever seen or found before. And the word for that in church history is heresy. (laughs) Nobody's ever found it. Probably not true, right? And so we think of preaching as like, oftentimes this great preaching is something that's just never been found and you pull it out. And he says so many times what preaching, faithful preaching is, is reminding people, reminding Christians of what they already know to be true. And to call us to resist this lazy slide back into ways that are empty and harmful and joyless because worldliness makes sin seem, seem normal. I listened to a guy um, this week on a podcast. He was, he was talking about how he'd been in, in, in recovery for, for years, for been sober for maybe 16, 17 years. And he was talking about how in his meetings, in his AA meetings or whatever, the value of hearing a story of relapse. You might think, well, that's a strange thing to... To find valuable, right? But he said, what's valuable for me, since I've been sober, he said, for, I don't know, 15, 16 years, is hearing a story of relapse reminds me that it's possible, even for me, who may feel so secure and so like, oh, I've got this, I've got this. It's possible to slide through kind of a laziness back into an empty way of living. And we need to be reminded not to do that, to gird up the loins of our minds, to exercise grit, to resist the lazy slide. I've been, I've been walking kind of funny for the last couple of days because I've been traveling so much this summer, I haven't been working out. <laughs> and that's one of the things I've noticed is like, oh, when you haven't worked out for two weeks and then you do work out, it's like way more painful afterwards. 
it was way easy to not do it for two weeks. I didn't have to do anything, literally. <laughs> but that lazy slide has consequences later. These habits that we choose have, have consequences. And so I began with a picture of a wedding sort of photo album, my grandpa and grandma's 70th wedding anniversary. And I think about holy, what's holiness, right? What's transformation? It doesn't have to do with the length of your sleeves. It has to do with the attitude of your heart. It has to do with the habits, the little things that we do every single day, moving into God's presence in worship, in scripture, in service. And before you know it, those little acts of obedience add up just as they did in my grandparents' marriage. And you look back and you see God moving, helping, enabling all along the way. Peter says, be holy. Move into a transformed, Christ-like existence. Pastor Rod will come and close us in prayer.